They said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of, the he- out of heaven to eat. Again, though they were Jews, though they had every reason to believe in an expected, anticipated, prophesied Messiah, they failed to do that. And in doing so, they missed. They, they could have considered themselves God's people, and still today, Jews consider themselves God's people. In fact, they so consider themselves God's people that they don't even believe they have any uh, concern for this thing that Christianity calls sin. We're God's people. We're born that way. We're going to die that way. God's already put his seal on us. We're safe. Guess what? Not so. No one is born, saved, and settled and secure for heaven. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, all men, and please understand me, I understand there are some cultural and there are some discussion and evangelistic things that we need to be aware of with every culture or every background that makes it, makes it uh, a little uh, different on how we approach, but always we're approaching to the same gospel. Always we're approaching the same issue. Sin is the issue. Jesus is the cure. And when we look at that, it's not only that their, that their interests were worldly and their impulse was to work, but their insight, they could have had all kinds of insight. Hundreds, yea, thousands of years of prophetic history had preceded this moment, and yet they missed it by a country mile. There standing before them was the Messiah, and they were saying things like, well, what sign do you do? Well, uh, were you there eating yesterday? Were, were, did you not see what happened? Of course you did. Or you, if you weren't there yourselves, you heard that folks ate until they were stuffed and we still had 12 baskets left over. What kinds of miracles and signs are you looking for? It's not the lack of signs, folks. It's the lack of sensitivity to them. People say things, I just wish God would show me that he loved me. If I just knew that God loved me, then I'd be willing to listen to you preachers or you witnesses or you you folks from Bellevue. And when you come and knock on our doors and and you welcome us and 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 you say, "Hey, I'm just we're just walking through the neighborhood and praying uh, this afternoon. We're going to do that April second, Sunday afternoon, April second. We're going to just walk up to people's doors. We're going to knock on it. We're going to have the opportunity to um, just pray for them." Now, if an opportunity to share the gospel comes about because of their invitation, yes. But our whole purpose is just to say, we're praying for you. Is there anything we can encourage you as we pray? Listen, listen. People are wanting to know, does God care? But I want to tell you that there are a lot of folks who have seen God's care, have experienced his tender mercies, who have known his love in countless ways. And yet it's not the lack of signs of his love. It's a lack of sensitivity to what he's saying. You see, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. If you and I are just 
self-aware enough, if we're just honest enough, if we're just authentic about this conversation enough, we all know the fact that we are breathing the breath that we're breathing right now. This inhale was a gift of God. You and I need to be aware. Men are confused, not because there's not help with the truth, but because their hearts are evil. Their insight was wanting, not that it, not desiring, it was lacking. It was found wanting. I mean, look, he's been ministering to them. He's been doing things such as feeding the 5,000. He has uh, healed. He has done all kinds of things already to illustrate who he is and who has sent him, more importantly. And yet they ignore it. Let me share with you. I want you to be, I want you to be encouraged by this, and I also want you to be very, how to say, uh, constrained by this love. When people tell you they can't see the love of God, it's not that they can't, it's that they won't. And there's a big difference. Now, it may be that God uses you to point out how he's loving them in order to continue the conversation, but let me share with you, there is not a lack of love on the part of our Heavenly Father for any man, woman, boy, or girl ever born of woman who has, is now breathing their breath of life his breath of life given to them. It is just simply that we refuse to acknowledge that that's what we're experiencing. The scripture goes on to say in verse 36, if you'll just step down there for a moment. In this conversation, he says, but I said to you that you have seen, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You see, their ignorance was witness to their evil, their darkened hearts. Just like I was saying, it's not a lack of testimony. It's not a lack of truth. It's not a lack of, of, of signs of his love. The signs pointing toward the Messiah, toward his salvation are there. They just don't want to acknowledge them. That's why the hearts of men and women are confused today. Because they want to hold on to their own understanding. They want to hold on to the worldliness and wickedness within. And yet they also want God to show up and bless them and save them and secure them and give them peace and give them joy and do all that they expect of their God, the one they've created in their own minds. And therefore they remain confused as sheep without a shepherd. So often Jesus, we're told, was moved with compassion. This Sunday, we're going to be studying this in our adult life groups. In fact, all across the uh, church uh, ministry, all our life groups studying Matthew 14. And the word there in 13 through 21 is that he was moved with compassion. It's that guttural, it's that, hurting in the very core of who you are because you see the need, see the, see the lack, see the, the heartache, see the, the profound emptiness within those that you're looking at, the situation that stands before you and you can't help but do something. 
And Jesus experiences that as he responds there in Matthew 14, 13 through 21 that we'll be studying this Sunday in our life groups. I want you to see not only are there, is the crowd confused, but the Christ is corrective. He sets them straight. Now, he does it in a winsome way, but, but a profoundly firm way as well. Look with me again. If you go back to verse 27, Jesus responds there, further responds, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. You see, he's, he's explaining to them, my concern is not your, <laughs> your empty bellies. My concern is your eternal life. It's not life like you've always had just forever and ever and ever. It's a different kind of life. I want you to know eternal life. And let me just say, empty bellies won't concern you then. Why? Because you'll be mine and I take care of my own. The father, <laughs> one of my, One of my favorite verses, it's getting more favorite as I age. I have been young, and now I am old. And now I've, and I've not seen his children forsaken, nor, their, nor his children begging bread. I've not seen the righteous, I believe. This is the right word. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be good stewards of God's gifts in our lives, throughout our lives. But let me just share with you one thing I've realized. God cares for his own. Oh, he cares for his own. Scripture here says, I want you to understand Jesus' words. Do not worry about temporal food as much as you are concerning about where are you spiritually? Where is your eternal life? Is it resting in him or is it still resonating, vibrating, agitated with what do I do next? What's going to happen next? Are you, are you still never at peace because you're always upset about what might happen or might not happen? Oh, my friends. Oh, my friends. Christ is corrective. He says, listen, I, I want you to move your focus from food, from empty bellies to faith and eternal life. He goes on in verse 33, beginning there with me. He says, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. <laughs> yeah, keep feeding us like you did yesterday. They're still not getting it. You know, we want you to just drop it out of heaven. We're, we're God's people. And, and God has been so, so very distant of late. All these years under Roman Empire control. We're impoverished as a people generally. There are a few that are doing well, but most are, most are not doing very well. Please stop making us get out and work and do well and save a little more than we make and 
put aside that for a future rainy day. Please don't you please just can't you do like Moses did? Can't you just feed us every day? Aren't we entitled to that? Because we're God's people. Hmm. 35, Jesus said to them, I am. That's another sign, folks. You can, you can circle that, those two words. I am. John uses it clearly, a little differently than anyone else in the gospel, as far as the gospel writers. He's always pointing, this is about his person. This is about who Jesus is, his divine nature. I am. Stop looking for a loaf to hit you on the head. Life is standing before you. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. <laughs> Why? Not because we won't experience those physical needs. We're going to need food. As long as we're here on this earth, we need food. In fact, he says, the scripture tells us, if you have food to eat and clothes to wear, there and be content. God even recognizes you're going to need food in fasting. You can't go very long without water. You can go a lot longer without food, but you can very quickly die without water. God knows you hunger. God knows you thirst. But the reality is that these individuals were so concerned about what was happening in the immediate that they would not understand the eternal. What was happening in the physical kept them from seeing what was happening in the spiritual realm. But he was calling them. His invitation was not to a bread line, but to life in him. But he says there again in verse 35, he will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. God takes care of his own. I believe Billy Sunday, I, I don't, I'm not saying I believe this, I believe it, but never mind. I know the story of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a great evangelist of a bygone generation. One of the most prolific soul winners and evangelists of American history. But Billy Sunday was one time a drunk. And Billy Sunday would later testify when someone asked him, do you really think that this Jesus stuff can change your life? You say it transforms. What do you mean by transforming? He says, well, he said, yes, I, I believe it wholeheartedly. I believe it completely. Why is that? Because I've seen him turn whiskey into furniture. And the guy says, what? He said, yeah. He said, when I was a sot down, falling down, gutter ridden, drunk, my family was losing everything, including the furniture in our house. But when God saved me, turned me around, transformed my life. What used to be whiskey became furniture. You see, it wasn't that Billy suddenly walked in, wow, there's furniture here. But Billy started taking care of his family like a man ought to do. Let me just say that, like a man ought to do. I'm not saying that women ought to be, 
please hear me. I'm not one of those perceived men who says women ought to stay barefoot and pregnant, okay? If that's offensive to you, please forgive me, but I'm just telling you that's not what I'm saying. You read Proverbs 31, and she was a very busy, productive woman, and she didn't stay at home. In fact, I don't know what a stay-at-home mom is. You ever, you ever talk to a stay-at-home mom? They don't stay at home very often. They're going all the time to provide for their families, to help with what, but I want to tell you something. When Billy Sunday came back from death into life, he started caring for his family. The money that he was making, earning on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, began to provide for them in a way that it hadn't been when he was a drunk. It changed his life. It transformed from whiskey to furniture. God will do that. And let me tell you, as long as we continue to pursue him and feast upon this bread of life that is our sustenance day in and day out, God will tell us how we're to work, how we're to save, how we're to spend, how we're to provide, how we're to give. And if we're following his leadership, his heart, his word that expresses that heart, let me tell you something. God will see to it that you and I, whether we're thinking we're doing it perfectly or not, he's going to provide so that we never thirst and we never hunger. That's his promise. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to have, you know, 10,000 square foot home and five cars and a vacation house and, all, and time to take vacations and all that. that is, that's not what God's promised. God's going to meet our needs. God's going to make sure that we have enough and then a little to give to others in need, a little to honor his ministry first out of that first 10% of, of our income and then enough to give to others, and still eat and drink as we need. Scripture goes on. Christ is corrective not only because his invitation is spiritual, not physical, but his ingress, his entrance into our lives is sustained. He just keeps coming. He just keeps coming, keeps providing, keeps blessing, keeps meeting our needs for food and drink. We're never going to have to, when you come into Christ, just there's a rest that we come into. Now, I understand it doesn't come for many immediately because we've been so wrapped up in the world's thinking and philosophies and ways of doing things that we still have a works mentality so often. But when you get to the point where you realize that everything that needs to be has been done by Christ, you rest. You relax. And you say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to walk? Show me the way to walk and I'll walk in it. I'll do it. I'll work. I'm not afraid of work. I'm not trying to rest all the time. I want to be about your business. I want to do the will of the Father because your heart is now my heart. And you told that, wit, that, that woman at the well two chapters ago in John that as she walked away, you told, excuse me, you told your disciples that your food was to do the will of him that sent you. If that's your will, if that's your food, I want his will as well. If that what sustains you, if you could do without for as long as you needed to do without physically because you were doing his will, then Lord, I want to live like that. When you want to feed me, I'll be fed. When you want me to be without, I'll be without. Because my desire far more than food and drink is to do the will of the Father. Scripture goes on to say, verse 29, 
Jesus again answered them and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I'm not saying this passage is, is easy, especially the further along we go in this message, but I want to tell you something. Here it is. You and I can do nothing to save ourselves. And you can split hairs and you can twist semantics and you can say, well, you know, you have to believe that's something you have to do. <laughs> Come on, folks. I don't want to be, I, I'm not trying to raise the ire of anybody. I know that's a little catty or sarcastic, but let me just share with you. When I, as a six and a half year old boy, walked down an aisle much like this one right here, and I put my hand in the hand of Dr. Well, he wasn't even a doctor. I get around doctors so much. He was Reverend B.J. Smith, lay preacher who'd become our pastor a few years before. And I put my hand in his hand and I said, Brother Smith, I want to tell you that I've been saved this afternoon. It was Sunday night service. Let me tell you, I felt like I had done nothing. And I'm convinced 48 years plus later, I did nothing. I just received the gift that was set before me. I just said, yes. That's what I want. That's what I believe. That's I receive you. And oh, yes, if it means dying to myself daily and taking up the cross, yes. Yes, because there's nothing that I could ever do from this point or up to this point that could prove I was worthy. But thank you so much for doing what was necessary, all that was necessary. This is the work. In, in summary, folks, this is the work that you and I have to do to know the bread of life, the one who is the Savior, to receive Messiah. Simply trust Him. Believe in the one who has been sent. Receiving Him in all that He is, is all that's required. It's, it's that. Um, nine months ago, I went to a, a very difficult-to-find nursing home to meet a 79-year-old gentleman for the very first time in my life. We'd gotten a call from his sister that he would appreciate a visit. I met him. And while I could tell he was aging and his physical body was not what it once was because he had been, he'd served Memphis Police Department for 33 years after an honorable career in both the Army during Vietnam and the National Guard. He had raised two children of his own and two stepchildren. One of his own children, one biological son, was a special needs child. I found out this in pieces over the last nine months, but I tell you this because that day, while his body was there and, and family had said there's, there's starting to be some issues with his memory, we just like to, somebody to go by and visit him from the church. Ask him, find out, you know, we're concerned about his salvation. On that afternoon in June, I sat down. No, 
I knelt down beside his wheelchair in a commons area. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just telling the details. My wife says, you've shared too many details. Probably true. And I asked Don about his salvation. And there was lucidity, there was clarity, and yet there was a simplicity. He affirmed that as a child, as a young person, before he was out of his own parents' home, that yes, he had trusted Jesus Christ for his salvation. Now let me just share with you. He was a sharpshooter and a tank driver in Vietnam. He then came back and served in the National Guard and then spent 33 years in Memphis Police Department service, rising to the rank of captain as a detective. Now let me just share with you two people, two vocations that I pray for as a pastor. I've been doing this for 35 years. Two, two vocations cause me to pray for members that I know or people that I know that are in these vocations, law enforcement and truck driving. Now, I may, there may be others that I need to pray for as well, but God just put those two vocations on my heart. When I find out you're a law enforcement of any type or you're a truck driver for any kind of, of uh, over-the-road or local delivery, I just pray because the families lead, see that loved one go out the door every morning and don't know if they'll come back. There's just a dynamic in those homes that's different from a lot of us. Don saw the underbelly of society, not only here, but around the world. And I don't even begin to understand all that that does or how that shapes a person's personality, but I do know that oftentimes it makes you very guarded and very particular about what you share and how you share it. Let me say, that guarded man, that man that protected his country, served his country, protected his family, would often work two and three jobs just to make sure that his special needs son had what he needed to have at the time he needed it. He lost that son before his own death. Yesterday, I spoke at his funeral. And I could tell his sisters that sat there one beside the other. Again, Don gave a clear testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there was a comment made, and I can't remember exactly what it was. I know my short-term memory is going too, but it was yesterday, so I, I don't know why I can't remember it, but I don't. But it gave the impression we weren't really sure. We weren't really positive that he made that profession of faith. Well, let me just share with you. <laughs> I'm not trying to be callous, but you and I aren't the judges. I ask him questions, not loaded questions, not, not questions that were there to, to you know, kind of get a preconceived idea or maybe push him to the side that I wanted to hear or that the family would be glad to hear. I gave him some real questions, and he answered very clearly, quickly, shortly, not very long sentences. But there was a clarity of his faith. You see, Jesus isn't here to make things complicated. Religion does that. Expectations of people who are religious do that. But Jesus, 
the one sent from the Father to accomplish the Father's will, and he did so perfectly, fully. He said, this is the work. Believe in him whom the Father sent. John had a very different life than I did. Different opportunities, different responsibilities, different challenges. He doesn't have to say it the way I say it, but he has to believe in Jesus. And he did. Again, I'm not making the I'm not lowering the bar to say, hey, you know, anybody that feels something, you know, had some gospel goosebumps one day, they must be saved. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who clearly says, My faith is in Jesus alone. And whatever happens from this point forward. My trust is settled in him. That's the corrective that Jesus gives those listeners and us today. Scripture goes on to say very quickly. Hold on. Well, to be continued. Let me finish one thought. In chapter 6 and verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread. See, that's what they were saying. Are you better than Moses? He gave us manna for 40 years. Not until we entered into the promised land did the manna stop falling daily. Is it, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. You see, once again, he's not backing off of who he is. I'm greater than Moses. I am the Messiah. I am the one sent from the Father. He's the one who has given you true bread. That true bread is me. Now again, He's speaking plain language. He's not making it complicated, but yet men and women there hearing his voice did not receive the truth that he shared. Charles Spurgeon was approached by a young pastor one time. And as such, he was almost accosted by the young man. And the man was really struggling. He had a new church that he had helped start and things weren't going well and he started explaining how things were going and Spurgeon just looked right back at him and said my dear brother do you anticipate that every time you preach people will flood the aisles and give their hearts to Jesus Christ every single time you preach and the young man was put upon his heels taken aback And it's recorded that Spurgeon waited until he composed himself. And the young man said, well, well, no, Dr. Spurgeon, I don't suppose I do. And Spurgeon looked at him and put his finger in the man's chest and said, that is why they do not. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not concerned so much about the response 
of unbelieving men. But he is ever seeking those who will believe. There's always an opportunity. Let's pray. We're going to have an invitation. I don't know what your schedule is. Maybe Wednesday nights or your Sundays, and that's fine. We welcome you here. Maybe this is the closest thing to worship service that you'll get to on a regular week. And I'm not saying it's far from it, but praise the Lord we have it. But if you've never received Christ, if you've never settled that your faith is in Christ alone, then tonight's the night for you to do that. We're just going to sing a simple hymn, whatever Brother Sam has for us, and you come. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for tonight. May you use it for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.